First passage this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. In the Old Testament, that's page 162 and following. Some of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5, beginning at verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien living in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, so that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not commit murder, neither shall you commit adultery, neither shall you steal, neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor, neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife, neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Here ends the reading of the Old Testament scripture. Please join me in the reading for the New Testament, Colossians 3:18 through 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so, Jeff, you owe me 20 bucks after the service, right? Because I just had your wife read that passage that says, Wives, be subject to your husbands. <laughs> So, when you think of family, what do you think of? Um, I know when we have our Thanksgiving Day service and we oftentimes give thanks to God for many things, one of the most common responses is family, right? We're thankful for family. So my question is why? Why is family important? What are some of the positive qualities about family that we appreciate? What are some of the negative qualities about family that make families unhealthy? Uh, what do you remember about your family upbringing that you loved? What do you remember about your family upbringing that you didn't love? Um, what do you remember? What do you remember? How do we create healthy families? And what is God's design for a healthy family? You know, 
I, I got this into my mind that I wanted to talk about families and just the family structure and all this stuff. So I started to really dig into scripture to see what does the Bible teach us. I mean, there's got to be like this blueprint of, you know, this is how you're all supposed to act. There's really not a lot of instructions in the Bible for family designs, how uh, God designs family. So then I started to say, you know, maybe I'll just look at the Bible for examples of good and healthy families. So I started at the beginning with Adam and Eve. And they had two sons, and one of the sons murdered the other one. Well, that's not a good example. I mean, talk about a dysfunctional family, right? So then I kind of went, okay, well, who's the father of our faith? Abraham. Abraham was the father of our faith. So I looked up Abraham and Sarah, and well, he wasn't having kids, so she gave him his, her servant girl, and then she had a son, and then Sarah ended up having a son, and so, and those two boys fought intensely, and so Abraham ended up banishing his older son, who was the son of his wife's servant girl. Well, that's not really a good example. So, then I thought of Isaac, Abraham's son, and he married Rebecca, and they had twin boys. And, well, they didn't get along very well. They fought continuously. Even in the womb, it says, they were fighting. And they separated for years because they couldn't get along. So that's not really a healthy family, right? Well, what about one of those boys, Jacob, who later became Israel, who was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel? 12 boys and one girl. That had to be a healthy family, right? Well, 10 of them sold one of them into slavery. That's not good. So the more I look at the Bible, the more I look at it. There's some great examples of dysfunctional families in the Bible. There's not a lot. In fact, I couldn't really ever find one I just figure the ones that don't really talk about their families must have been okay. You know, like David, his family, they don't really talk about his family, uh, his older family, his parents and such. So that must have been pretty good. Boaz and Ruth, they must have got along pretty well. So they didn't really talk about that family much. So the healthy families just don't get talked about. It's the unhealthy families that get talked about. So, you know, that's, I kind of went through this whole list of things. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> Whoop, excuse me. Um, and then I get to David, and I think, oh, well, David, he's a man after God's own heart. Yeah, there's some dysfunction there, too, right? Goes out on the roof and looks out and sees somebody taking a bath, and then they start having problems. And his oldest son was killed by his third son because the oldest son raped the third son's sister. Well, that's not really a healthy family environment, is it? So there's all kinds of trouble. Um, so maybe the Bible doesn't have a lot of good examples. So let's just move on. What, what about the Ten Commandments? That's, I jumped into the Ten Commandments, and that's what we read at the beginning. And it actually does talk about families, right? One of the reasons I, the, remember the first four uh, verse, or first four commandments have to do with how we love God, right? And then the next six have to do with how we love our neighbors. So the first four have to do with how we love God, but keeping the Sabbath, it starts talking about families. 
you know, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath, your kids are supposed to keep the Sabbath, everybody in the household, all the way down to the lowest servant is supposed to keep the Sabbath. Even the animals, I love that, even the livestock. God cares about the livestock even. Um, something that I think is fascinating. And then, what's the very first one in loving our neighbors? Honor your father and mother. Who's your first neighbor? <laughs> it's your mom and dad, right? And honor them. Always hold them in with value. Um, so, and there's a promise attached to that commandment, right? That things may go well with you in the land that God will give to you. And then don't murder. Well, that's, you know, probably a good way to love your neighbor, not to murder them, although there are times. <clears throat> When they have parties on Saturday nights, you know, people don't understand what it's like to be a pastor. And they decide to have a party on Saturday night. I'm like, excuse me, I have to get up really early. And they're like looking at me like, who are you? And why? Yeah. Um, and then the seventh commandment, don't commit adultery. Well, that's family again. Who's your most important neighbor after your parents? Your spouse, right? So take care of them. Um, and then the last one, don't covet your neighbor's wife, again, uh, looking after that. Then I thought, well, what about the wisest man in history after Jesus, of course? Who is that? Solomon. What does Solomon have to say about families? Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. I love that he says that. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Um, he also says in Ecclesiastes, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Well, there you go. We all good? Of course, now, Solomon, how many wives did he have? 300 wives, 700 concubines. So when he said, the wife of your youth, which one was he talking about? It's just a little crazy, right? The Bible's a little confusing on this. But then we get to the New Testament, and Paul is really one of the only ones that actually talks about the family unit. In some ways, I think that we in our American culture have lifted up the family unit to this level of importance, almost idolatry, of we expect so much of our families that, um, that they just can't provide. And Scripture lets us know over and over again that families will not provide those um, things that we long for, the spiritual things that we long for, because only God can do that. But in Colossians, what um, Lauren read a moment ago, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Paul says that as well in Ephesians, right? But right before he says, wives, be subject to your husbands, in Ephesians he says, y'all be subject to one another. Okay? So what does it mean to be subject to? It means to be humble, to, to put the other person first, to think of the other person first. And that's kind of what I've, how I've defined love, right? Is um, seeking the spiritual best for another person. So that, to me, is being subject to. In Ephesians, he goes on to say, uh, wives, respect your husbands, right? Now, if we understand Eve's curse in um, the Garden of Eden, God says, your desire shall be for your husband. And I've talked about this before, um, but Tremper Longman, a Hebrew scholar, kind of points it out very well and says, what this means is doesn't mean that you're going to desire your husband and want him. It means that you want to control him. 
to be in charge of him. And anybody know any wives that want to control their husbands? Don't raise your hand, men. If you're sitting next to your wife, keep it down, <laughs> right? But that's just kind of a natural, and it's part of the curse. I hate to say it, but it's part of the curse of wanting to be in control. Husbands, love your wives. Now, remember what I've said before. If, if that is wanting the spiritual best for the one you love, then you're seeking what's best for that person. Um, Paul in Ephesians, he says, love your wives as you love yourself. Well, you know, we take care of ourselves. We make ourselves happy. So we should be doing everything we can to make our wives happy. I think it was Pam last week that said, um, Father's Day, that said the greatest gift that my dad gave was loving my mom. Is that right? That was you, right? Yeah. That's the best example you can give to your, your kids. It's the best example you can give to, your, to the community around you. Loving your spouse. Um, that's the best example and uh, illustration you can give. Now, I know I've said it before, but there was that BBC poll years and years ago that uh, went out to husbands and wives across England asking, what do you wish you had more from your spouse? And the response that came back was, overwhelmingly, men wished that their wives respected or showed more respect to them. And overwhelmingly, wives responded by saying, I wish my husband showed me more love. So 2,000 years ago, Paul understood this, that men at the core of their being long to be respected and women at the core of their being long to be adored and loved and cherished. So y'all, men, love and cherish your wives. Women, show your husbands respect. We good? All right, let's close in prayer. No. Um, a little bit for children. Children, obey your parents. <laughs> Do I hear an amen, Dick? <laughs> now, here's the funny thing about this. It says children, the Greek word, technon. How long is a child a child? Forever? Not in the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, when, do, when does a child become a man or woman? 13 or 12, depending. Bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. What does bar mitzvah mean? No. <laughs> it's not a bar. No. Um, bar mitzvah means son of the covenant. Bat mitzvah means daughter of the covenant. So that means you're shifting from being a child of your parents and a becoming a child of the covenant. And we do um, confirmation right about that time. 12 or 13 is when we confirm children who've been baptized, or if they haven't been baptized, we'll baptize them, and they become children of the church at that time. So that's kind of the shift. So children, up until you're 12 or 13, you're supposed to obey your parents. I give. I guess that's why Jesus stayed at the temple at 12 or 13, right? Because he was past that period. Um, and then it says, fathers, don't provoke your kids. We talked about that last week on Father's Day, just like Ephesians when it says, don't provoke or embitter your kids. 
So what are some, what's some practical things? So now I'm gonna to toss it out to you. What were some of the things that you loved about your family life growing up? Activities you had together. Activities you had together, so community. Good. Support. Support, right? Just good, solid support. Good. Dinner time was always time for conversation. You weren't looking at your cell phone when you were growing up? <laughs> Something else? Awesome. Okay, so conversation, uh, community, table. I mean, there's something special about sharing a meal together. Yeah. Other things that you liked, Janice? Vacations together. Vacations together. My parents might disagree with that, but I remember them well. <laughs> my parents, one time, we were like grumping, where are we going to get there, blah, blah, blah. And my mom would go, look out the window, it's a beautiful view. And then, then it was like dead silent because it was a camper. And all of a sudden, she says, we all chimed in together. We like, had whispered it out. Oh, what a beautiful view. <laughs> my mom was like, she's like, pull over. My dad's like, no, no, we're okay. We're going <laughs> to. Okay, other things you remember that were good about family. Okay. Road trips. Okay, good, good. All right. What were some of the bad things about growing up in family? Nothing? It's all good? Parents divorce, yeah, absolutely. Discipline and spankings? You, Janice? I'm shocked. Sharing the bathroom, one bathroom. How many in the family? Five. And your older sister was like three people. Right? Okay, that was my middle sister. Oh, wow, so you, you've never got any freedom, okay? Oh, taking care of your little brothers, okay. I imagine, okay. <laughs> Having to deal with her older brothers, awesome, that's good. Okay, so we have some common themes here, right? Um, here's some ideas, and these are just my ideas, um, but I think that they're practical. If you want to write things down in the bulletin, you can. Um, I think families should provide a safe environment. So safety, a refuge. Um, now, moms, I, this is just a, an observation on my part. Moms tend to be, not always, tend to be overprotective. Dads tend to be a little over lenient. You know, moms are like, don't climb that tree, you might fall. And dad's like, well, let him fall. He'll learn a lesson, right? That's kind of, it's like, I've probably told this before, but Samuel, when we were putting in the basketball hoop out here in the, in the parking lot, and I said, gosh, it's going to be awfully close to the wall. Don't you think kids are going to run into it when they do a layup? And he goes, only once. That's a dad for you. Um, 
So families should be a, uh, provide a safe environment. Secondly, families should uh, be a place where everyone feels loved, right? You should just feel, that's that support that Fred was talking about, seeking the spiritual best for another. Um, that love might include discipline, uh, and it might include, uh, and it should include belonging and acceptance. So safety, love, third, um, families should train cooperation. It should be the first place that you learn how to work with other people. Um, that's why you need give and take. I mean, I was gonna do this, but I'm not going to, but, well, I'm going to. How many oldest children are here? Interesting. Okay, how many, oh, we, that's right, two, mar two oldest married to each other. It's always a tough one. How many middle children? Just a couple, okay. So oldest children tend to go to church more. Let's, how many youngest children? All right. We're the blessed ones, aren't we? How many only children? See, only children don't need church. Okay. That's the t I think that's the one of the most difficult things about being an only child is you, it's hard to learn how to navigate relationships. It's hard to learn how to share. It's hard to learn how to share different ideas and to be flexible and to be um, able to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Cooperate with each other, sure. Um, teamwork, responsibility to others, for others, all those things is really important. Okay. So um, families should be a place of safety, of love, of cooperation, of community, if you will. When we lose that love and cooperation, we lose that sense of safety. Kids no longer feel safe, especially when mom and dad start to argue. So when there's that division, when there's that fighting, uh, it can be so damaging to a kid. Um, I have my own term. I call it secondhand anxiety. And what I mean by that is when um, somebody smokes and a kid is in the room, they, they breathe in that toxic air, uh, even though they're not the one smoking. And if there's a kid in the room when parents are fighting, they breathe in that anxiety. And they feel it, and it affects them, and it can affect them for their whole lives. So secondhand anxiety, and almost all fighting, I hate to say it, but it's almost always about a power struggle. Who's winning? Who's going to be in charge? So parents, if you're in that sort of situation, go to counseling. Just don't even think twice. Just go. If you're sick, you go to a doctor, right? So there's some dis-ease, there's some unhealth in a relationship when you start to get that way. It affects your kids, so go to counseling. Come and talk to your pastor. Your pastor will pray with you. Um, the church is here to support and love parents and love families. That's what we're all about. So we wanna do everything we can to support you in that. So um, work together because of Family should be a place of safety. It should be a place of love. It should be a place of um, learning cooperation. I'm gonna add a couple more. Family should be a place of adventure, of discovery, of experimentation. Parents, take your kids out into the world. 
We're just so busy now staring at screens, it's awful. Take time to get them out into the world to see creation, to experience things that are crazy, beautiful. Experience God's good creation. And then finally, I'm gonna add this. Families should include laughter. Should be a good place for laughing. I mean, there are times, uh, the other day I was like driving with my daughter, I almost had to pull over, we were laughing so hard. And I don't even remember what it was about, but I love the fact that we were laughing. Um, life is too serious. There's so much stress in life. G provide a place for joy, for laughter. Um, remember a few years ago, I did a series called Who Stole My Fruit? It was all about the fruit of the spirit. Remember, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things are supposed to be part of our lives as Christians. And my point was, if that's supposed to be a part of our life as a Christian, how come so many Christians don't exhibit those things? How many, how many Christians do we know that aren't filled with love, aren't filled with joy, aren't filled with peace, aren't filled? So why? Who stole that from us? Um, and if you come down to it, that's what should be happening in a healthy family. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All those things should be part, to, um, part of a healthy family. So overarching all of that is that one verse in Matthew that we all know so well. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the number one thing a healthy family should be doing is seeking God. As a family, take time to have devotional, family devotionals, reading scripture. I would advise it after dinner. Have a little time where you read scripture together, pray together, ask your kids, hey, what can we be praying for for you? Praying together. Um, ultimately, healthy families put God first. Uh, and the more parents are drawn to God, the more um, they're drawn together. It's like a pyramid, right? It's a triangle. The, more, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to get to each other. So put God first in your lives. God gave us families. God gave us families to protect and preserve the human race. God gave us families to experience love and a sense of belonging. God gave us families to learn to work together. God gave us families to grow into Him, who is our Heavenly Father. God gave us families so that we might understand the family of God.